Okay. All right, we are going to be in James chapter 5 this morning, if you would like to turn there with me. We've been trying to tackle the book of James the last month, month and a half, and we should finish up on that um, this morning. But James is such a, a practical book. He just tells us what we need to do <coughs> and how to do it. But as you can see in James chapter 1, that he wrote his letter to the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. So he didn't write his letter to a specific uh, person, per se, but he wrote it to a, a group of people, Christians. And so this book was written to us, even though it was written several, almost uh, 2,000 years ago. But James chapter 5, we are going to take a look at this chapter uh, this morning uh, to see what we can glean uh, from this book. If you can remember back several weeks ago, chapter 1 it really deals with the trials and sin that we have in our life. How sin starts, how it kind of uh, grows seed and festers in our life and ultimately leads to death if we do not correct that. But we also see that we have trials that we go through in our life. And James tells us that we should really expect that. In James chapter 2 is that faith chapter. The, the show me your faith. And so oftentimes faith and works must work together. A faith without works, James says, is what? It's dead. It's just no good. It has absolutely no value to it. And so faith and works comes together. In James chapter 3, we talked about that body part that gets us in trouble all the time. That's our tongue, isn't it? That thing isn't very big, but man, it sure does a lot of damage, doesn't it? And so James talks about our tongue and how we need to be able to control what we say and be able to control what we, how, how we project to other people because it's very important. And then James chapter 4, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about having sin in our life. And when you look at those first four or five verses, and you can underline every time the word you or your is mentioned, we can see that the source of sin is not really the devil, but the source of sin is us. When the devil tempts us and we fall uh, to that temptation, that's when sin can, can get its stronghold and the devil can, can get a foot in the door. And so that's, that's where sin ultimately comes from. It's from our selfish sins and desires. And so chapter 5 today, I just simply call this chapter, We Need to Be Patient. And we live in a world today where patience really is no longer a virtue, is it? I mean, we want to go pump gas, we want to go out and, and slide our card through there, and within five minutes we ought to have a full tank of gas, or it just isn't pumping fast enough. If you want to go fast, you want to go to the drive-thru, right? And we, we want to be able to order our food at that box thing, and somebody's talking to you, and by the time you pull up to that first drive through window, you expect your food to be sitting there waiting on you. We don't have any patience anymore, do we? But we can see here in James chapter 5 in verse number 1, actually the first six verses, we can see that we all are going to be judged. He says, come now you rich, in verse 1, come now you rich and weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. 
you have heaped upon uh, you have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields you have kept back by fraud. They cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of the slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. And you're thinking, well, these verses don't apply to me, so I can turn these off. These first six, is, first six verses don't really apply to me because in verse 1, he says, Come now, you who are rich. Well, that's not me. Because I told you before, we're rich as Americans, aren't we? The poorest American is extremely rich. As I told you before, I like to know numbers. I like, I like math. And so I uh, went on Google and just typed in uh, the, the richest uh, countries as far as income is concerned. And we're number eighth on the list, believe it or not. The average income in America is $70,430. The richest country as far as the salary is concerned is Monaco at $186,080. So they're almost three times as far as salary that we are. But we're number eighth on the list at $70,000 a year is what the average person makes working. You may make more than that. You may make a little less than that. But the average is $70. When I scroll down to the very bottom, oops, there it is, number 68th on the list is Afghanistan. Guess how much they make per year? $500. They average $42 a month. Are we rich? We make $70,000 a year. A person in Afghanistan makes $500 a year. And so James is talking to us. Now there's nothing wrong with us being rich. Uh, most of the people in the Bible that were rich, I shouldn't say most, some of the people in the Bible that were rich were very godly, God-fearing people. Job was extremely rich. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all extremely rich. There was nothing wrong with them having things or having money. But what becomes wrong is when we put that before God. Again, whatever we place before God becomes our God. And so James says, Come now, you rich, you weep and you howl, for your miseries are coming upon you. Just because you got money doesn't mean you're going to be happy. Just because you got money doesn't make you a happy individual. You can see that in uh, Hollywood that we see today, the actresses and the actors who are extremely wealthy, but yet they'll, they're very depressed or they'll even sometimes kill themselves because of that depression. Having money is not going to make us happy. He says in, in verse number 2 that your riches will be a witness against you on judgment day. Your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and they will eat your flesh like fire. Again, there's nothing wrong with us being wealthy. In fact, uh, 1, Timothy, 1 Timothy says, what is the root of all evil? 
It's not money. It is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not what's wrong. It's when you love it so much that you can't get enough of it and all you have is material things and just be aware that one day somebody will get your material things. You can have two boats, you can have three campers, you can have six cars, you can have a house here in Sydney, and you can have a vacation home in Hawaii. You can have all those things, but one day you're going to die and somebody else will get them because you can't take them with you. And so we have to look at our priorities to see where our priorities lie. And so many people that are rich Looking at verse number four, many people who are rich oftentimes will take advantage of other people. He says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. People that work for you, you are not treating them very nicely. And so the rich oftentimes get richer because of the way that they treat uh, the people around them. And so James goes on in verse number 7 and tells us that we need to be patient. He said, Therefore, be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. James was comparing the patience that we need to a person who is a farmer. And we live in an area where we are very familiar with that, aren't we? You know, I was thinking a little bit ago as I was uh, preparing this, a farmer has to have more faith in God than probably a lot of other people. Because what can they do? They can work the ground up, and they can get it ready, and they put those seeds in the ground, and they have to sit there and wait. They can't do anything else. Yes, once those seeds... Uh, turn into a plant, and the plant starts to grow. They can cultivate that. They can put some fertilizer on it. They can kill the weeds around it to give the plant the best ability it can to grow. But there is nothing else that they can do but sit there and watch that plant grow. They have to be patient, and they have to wait for the rain. I don't know if you know this or not, but a farmer can't make a phone call and just have a couple of inches rain come down at his convenience. I was talking to a farmer last week. He said the rain that we had a couple of weeks ago saved all of their crops. So if we wouldn't have got that rain two weeks ago, we would have gotten nothing. It would have died. Man, those kind of people have to have faith in God. They can only do so much, and then we have to wait for God. And it's the same way with us. He says we need to be patient just like that farmer. <clears throat> And so Jesus was comparing the Christian life to a, a crop. And we have to be patient with other people just like they have to be patient with us. I think we oftentimes are not patient enough with people, especially new Christians. We expect a person to get baptized on Friday and be able to teach a Sunday school class on Sunday. And it's just not the way it works, is it? It takes time. It takes time to cultivate. It takes time to, to fertilize. But it's God who is the one who gives the increase. So we need to be patient. Just like the farmer 
We need to be patient. He says that in verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. One of the last things that Jesus said before he left the earth is, I'm going to come again. In fact, the angels in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended back up into heaven, they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? That same Jesus is going to return in the same fashion. So we have that promise given to us that Jesus is going to return, but I tell you, friend, we must be patient. We don't know when that day is going to be. It could be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be next year. It may not be in our lifetime, but we know it's going to happen because Jesus has promised to us that he will return. So be patient. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. The Christian life, the Christian walk is not a sprint. It's a marathon. I never was much of a runner, as you can see from my physical condition. But I wasn't much of a runner. But I know in, in my head that if you're going to run a 26-mile marathon, you don't take off running as hard and as fast as you can. You can't do that because you will very easily tire and wear yourself out. So you have to pace yourself so that you can finish the race. And it's the same way with us as Christians. We need to pace ourselves so that we can be able to finish the race. But James goes on and tells us in verse number 9 that we need to be patient with each other. At family camp this year, there's, there never is a theme, but it seems like all the sermons kind of has a theme, and the theme this year was kind of the fact that we are a family of God. There was 150, 175 people there, and every single one of us, if they were Christians, were brothers and sisters in Christ. But sometimes we need to be patient with each other, because believe it or not, not everybody is like me. Thank God, right? Not everybody is like you. Sometimes we clash. Sometimes our, uh, our ideas are not the same, and so we need to be patient with one another. And he says that in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In other words, God sees everything that is going on in your life and in my life. There is nothing that can be hid from God. And so we need to be patient with each other. We don't need to grumble and complain and bellyache about one another because we are all in the same boat. That's what fellowship is. The word fellowship is all the same fellows in the same ship. And so yes, we have different characteristics about us, but we need to be patient with one another. He tells us in verse number 10, he said, My brethren, Take a look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. The prophets were those ones in the Old Testament who foretold about what would happen to God's people if they continued down that path. The prophets suffered greatly. They were persecuted. Some were even uh, killed because of their message of what God wanted them to say. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 sometimes. 
uh, towards the end that he mentions the prophets that were uh, that suffered greatly, even uh, some of them being sawn in two because of the message that they were presenting to God's people. It wasn't them necessarily. They were just simply relying or relaying what God wanted them to say. Tommy Johnson used to always say he's just a mailman. He's just delivering the mail. He's delivering God's mail to you. Don't get mad at the mailman if you don't like the letter that you received. You know, you open it up, and it's a bill. And you kind of get mad, and, oh, they charge that much for doing that? Are you kidding me? I don't think I'll pay that. Don't get mad at the post author. Don't get mad at the mailman. Don't go out and kick him the next morning when he delivers the next mail because you didn't like what you got. And it's the same way it was with the prophets. They were just simply... Uh, re relaying the message that God wanted his people to know. He goes on and gives another example in verse number 11. He said, Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. That was true in Job's case, wasn't it? Job was a patient man, wasn't he? We've all had some terrible things done to us. Maybe we've had uh, children pass away or brothers or sisters pass away suddenly. Maybe we've had cancer. Maybe we've had some uh, physical problems. Maybe we've had some family issues. But has any of us ever lost ten kids in one day? Job had ten children, and in one day, every single one of them died. He was having a bad day, wasn't he? Not only did he lose his kids, but he lost every earthly possession that he owned. His cattle, his camels, his oxen, uh, all those things that he had, the sheep, every single possession that he had, in one day, he completely lost it all. He went from being a billionaire to a zero heir. He lost everything. If anybody had an opportunity to complain and get mad at God, it was Job. But what, what was his response? I forget what he said. Naked, i got to go back and read it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all these things he did not sin. And so Job had a super attitude. Even though he lost everything and even though he he was grieving and weeping over his children. He says this in verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of these things, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. Wow. Would that be said about you? Would that be said about me? I don't know. But Job had patience, and, and James tells us that the end was intended to be by the Lord, that the Lord was very compassionate and merciful. What did God do to Job when you read uh, chapter 42? He got his ten children back, didn't he? And God doubled every earthly possession that he had. If he had 10,000 sheep, he all of a sudden had 20,000 sheep. And so God doubled his possessions. God is very compassionate, and God is a merciful God. 
Mercy is something that we don't deserve, just like kind of like grace. We don't deserve the things that God gives us, but we, he gives them to us anyway, doesn't he? And so when things are hard, if you're going through a hard time in life right now, my best advice to you would to be, be patient. Be patient. God is a compassionate, God is a merciful God. It's going to get better. The God of the valley is the same God in the mountain. And sometimes we, we go through bad levels in life, but realize that God is compassionate and God is merciful. In verse number 13, he somewhat changes gears, and he talks about the Christian, the praying Christian. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. It's hard to sing when you don't feel good. It's hard to be happy when you don't feel good. I like to whistle a lot. Drive Shirley crazy. But when I'm happy, I whistle. When I don't feel good, when I've got a headache and I don't feel like it, I just don't really do much of anything but kind of lay there and pout. But that's what he says. He says, if you're hurting, pray to God about it. If you're happy, sing to God about it. And so that's the way we ought to be. In verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Then call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. If you're sick, if you're going through difficulties in life, go to the leadership of the church. Go to the elders, go to the deacons, go to the evangelists and say, hey, will you pray for me? I'm struggling right now. I, I'm really having some difficulty. I need help. Will you please pray for me? Man, I don't think we oftentimes really understand the power of prayer. It seems like we kind of put the power of prayer on the back burner and we use it as a lifeline. Remember that one uh, game show that they had, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? They had two or three lifelines. You can call a friend. You can take two of the three answers away, and we can do this. We can pray to God. That's a lifeline. But what we need to do is change our thinking about that and pray to God first. Bring that to him. He is our heavenly father. He wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us when we're having difficulties and problems in this life. Don't try to work it out and think it out yourself. Take it to him first. And so that's what he says. If we're sick, if we're having problems, go to the leadership of the church. Because he says in verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. <coughs> and if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. What will save the sick? The prayer of a person who has faith. Man, we've seen prayer work. We've seen it here in this congregation. I can name you several, several people that we've been praying for and we've been uh, talking to God fervently about their condition. We can see a change taking place there. We know prayer works. And so we have to keep going in that direction. In verse number 16, as we start to come to a close this morning, verse number 16, he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
We, we would never do that, would we? Confess our trespasses or our sins to each other. Well, if I do that, they'll burn the telephone line up so quick, the whole congregation will know before next services. Is that the way you think about your brother or sister? I hope not. I hope it's not true. I hope you know that you could call anybody in this room and you could tell them, you could confide in them, and you'd know that they would be able to, to listen to you, first of all, and then pray with you, second of all. Man, again, we are a body, we are a family, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We confide in our family all the time, don't we? I mean, if you go to the doctor and something major is wrong, who do you call? You call your spouse, or they may even be there with you. You may call your kids and say, hey, listen, I got this going on, I need, I need help here. Same way with us spiritually, when we're having difficulty, we need to be able to talk to our brother or sister about that and allow them to pray for us. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Again, he gives us example in verse number 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like us. Elijah was just like we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and six months. Three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. That's just one man that was just like you and I. He prayed to God, God, these people are wicked, they need to be punished, don't let it rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain. Could you imagine what the earth looked like at that particular time? And then this righteous man prayed to God again. Now if you go back and look at the story, there was just a real small black cloud appeared. And Elijah was talking to King Ahab. He said, man, you better hurry back home because it's about ready to cut loose. And they ran towards the city. But just pray, you know, just know that prayer works. Prayer works in your life. Lastly this morning as we look in verse 19 and 20, one of the duties that we have as Christians is that we need to restore a fellow brother or sister. He says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We need to be looking out for each other. Look out for my brother. Look out for my sister. And when I see somebody that's not here for a week or two, I need to call them. Don't, don't necessarily ask the preacher where they are. Go call and check on them. That means a lot more than they expect a preacher to call, and I do. But may that mean so much more when you call them. That means so much more when they get a letter from you saying, hey, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, I've missed you. Are you Okay. I know there's a lot of sickness going around right now. Are, are you okay? You haven't been there for a month. You haven't been there for two months. We're, we're concerned about your soul. He says if we can do that and if we can restore them, it saves a soul from death and it covers a multitude of sins. <coughs> That's what the family of God will do for each other. So James chapter 5, a great chapter that talks about us and how we need 
to be active in our life. We, uh, a Christian is not one that sits on the sideline and in, in, in rahas and claps her hands and shouts and all that. A Christian is one who is an active person in their faith. And that's what James is trying to teach us this morning. 